Okay, everyone, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletechhelp.com. That's reliabletechhelp.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business, science, popular culture, and more. Basically, the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, iHeart, and others. Please interact with us online, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share our content. We'd love to hear from you. A few notes about today's guest and some of the topics we're going to talk about is I am a um, very, very strong proponent of free speech. I think it's arguably the most important fundamental human right. And the reason I mention that is my guest's views to some people, and even to me, uh, might seem kind of controversial. Uh, They might seem kind of extreme, but at the end of the day, he's not using his human right of free speech to harm anyone, to call for violence, to threaten anyone, or to commit any other crime. He's simply expressing his heartfelt views, uh, opinions, philosophies, concerns, and hopefully um, he can, uh, you know... um, change a few minds or maybe maybe at least motivate people to view things through a different lens. Um, his views are not necessarily my views or the views of the Respect the Math podcast, but we do respect them. And I also believe the world would be a better place, people would be happier and more friendly towards each other if more people could just sit across from each other and try to understand each other's viewpoints, even if you find them offensive or distasteful. Try to put yourself in that other person's shoes and understand how, from their perspective, from their their view, their window on the world, they arrived at what they believe in and what they think and why they believe what, what they believe and what they think. I'm a big proponent of dialogue and discourse. It has to be respectful and open-minded, and that's what we're going to do today. One more thing before any of you uh, trigger-happy people try to get me canceled. The point of this show is to expose people to different worldviews and to the ideas and thoughts and beliefs of a lot of different people from a lot of backgrounds. I want to, I want to have people uh, from both sides, the moderate side, the independent side, the liberal side, the conservative side, even the extreme right and the extreme left politically. I want to hear what those people have to say. I want to try to understand their perspective and put myself in their shoes. So... Uh, just, just be patient with us, try to hear us out, and we're going we're to have a respectful uh, dialogue with each other about some ideas here. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our guest. His name is Eric Sennett. He's been a longtime friend of mine. We've all, also done a lot of business together, uh, had many interesting conversations. So I figured why not get one on, uh, you know, record one of those conversations and put it out there and see if uh, you might find it interesting. So welcome, Eric. Hello. Good to see you, David. Likewise. Thanks for being here. Tell us more about yourself and what you'd like to talk about. Um, first, I'd like to say I do appreciate being here. Uh, David and I have, we started through a business relationship. When I first met Mr. Snyder, uh, his poise and the way he presented himself to people with his integrity and uh, what people were uh, clearly able to see, what he was able to provide in his business and who he is. Uh, I immediately developed uh, a lot of respect and uh, uh, for Mr. David Snyder, and uh, very shortly after started doing business with him. And yeah, we've done business for quite some time now, and still do business. And I appreciate that very much. Likewise. Yeah, my name is Eric Sennett, and um, 
I live here in Louisville, Kentucky, and through business and meeting each other, David's been to my <coughs> Dave. No, I take care of yourself. Uh, David's been to my home. Uh, uh, he's seen my Facebook page. So he's seen some of the things I display and and am talking about. Uh, I've displayed, uh, uh, utilized my uh, uh, right to free speech in uh, multiple places. I have it on my work vans. I have it on my home. have it on my Facebook page. Anybody can go in there and, and uh, look at those things and drive by or or uh, uh, go to my Facebook page and look at them. And I am totally open to uh, speaking with people, anybody and everybody. So one thing uh, uh, David and I, he was interested in, we've talked about some of the things he said, and he said I've, more than once, he said, I don't totally agree with some of the things you say, and some of them seem kind of far out there. And I was like, that's fine. But somehow... Uh, Mr. Snyder and I still have been able to man- maintain a relationship. Um, certainly, I wouldn't want to lose my business relationship with them, but um, we, even through having a, a divergence of uh, uh, perspective, we still uh, have been able to maintain a relationship, and I respect that very much of David Snyder, Mr. Snyder. Yeah. So as an opening thought, I was trying to think about what's the one thing how in all the things we've talked about and he's seen about my points of view and the things I've said, what's the one thing that I, I could use as a foundation or, or the one question or the thought that I would use to start a conversation? And the, the one question that I would ask someone and pose here with Mr. David Snyder is Mr. Snyder, it could be anybody, but since he and I are here together, Mr. Snyder, would you cast create or allow a situation where your child was cast into, placed into a situation of chaos, death, pain, and suffering? Absolutely not. And can I ask you, I just want to make a point here before we get too far down that road. Um, We had a brief conversation before the podcast, and we talked about uh, you want people to know what your motivation is. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, I would not want to put anyone in that excuse me anyone thank you anyone in that position much less my own child right um i think it's important before we talk about that for you to briefly mention your underlying motivation for all of your views is a concern for people all people of the world yeah so for the audience before we get into some of these heavy topics that might sound controversial or extreme just keep in mind at his core, Eric is a sensitive person who cares about other people. He sees things that he he sees as being injustices or harm being done to people, and that's the underlying motivation for all of his views, all of his activism, all of his um, being outspoken, um, and for that question and many more questions, I'm sure you'll ask me. So, I just want to want to get that out there first. Yeah, that's so. that's a good another good foundation layer mission statement yeah. of why we're conversing and why you asked me to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a concern for all people of the world as is as, as a youth that that concern uh, arose within me when I started becoming conscious in the world and I had influences that helped me develop 
uh, a sense that that concern was important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a calling. Yeah, a calling, a sense, uh, an awareness. And where, do you, and where do you get that from? Is that a deeply held religious or spiritual belief? or I had a number of influences. Uh, I think I haven't uh, was born with a sensitive uh, aspect of my nature. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that really influenced me, I was raised Catholic. I am not a Catholic now. Probably would not step foot in a Catholic church if I could avoid it. Um, I won't take up our time with that right now. Um, But I was raised Catholic, and we were in a church. It doesn't matter where we were, but we were in the Carolinas. Uh, And in this church that we attended at the time when my family lived there, uh, I have long lineage in Kentucky. We moved back here in 1975, the family, my family. I was 10 years old. Uh, in that church, I think it was South Carolina, um, doesn't ma- again, it doesn't matter where, but in the main focal point of the altar, the, the priest's area, was a rather large uh, crucifix with Christ hanging on it. And it made me cry as a child to see that pain. Of a human being on a cross as a child that deeply affected me. Some heavy stuff for a kid to be wrestling with, right? Yeah, it it just it came into my soul that human being suffering on that cross, and then as I got older and became aware that humans inflicted that pain on that person. It made me think about what humans do to each other. Mm. And then my grandfather on my father's side was very sensitive to the American Indian experience. It, it bothered him deeply. And similar experiences in the world. Uh, he had experienced some traumatic situations in his life. But for some reason, I spent quite a bit of time with him, listening to his ruinations, he had a very deep empathy for the, the American Indian experience here in America and what happened when the Europeans came here. It, he, he read about it uh, in depth. He thought about it in depth. <coughs> Bless you. And he spoke about it in depth, in, uh, in, depth in his ruminations. So I guess uh, initially, I would say those were probably some of the two most powerful influences in my life. Give us some context about what age were you when that happened, like a teenager or a younger? Or- when I when in that church, we lived there for about two years. I was probably about six, seven, eight years old. And I can tell it deeply impacted you. I mean, you, you can see it right now, right? To this day, vividly, yeah. Yeah. I, that what I felt. I still feel very powerfully to this day. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's um that's that's powerful, that's deep. Um and I think that I think that's what so, so, sorry for interrupting you. No, you're fine. <coughs> One thing I think is important to point out is that's kind kind of at the core of why Eric believes what he believes and, and why he's willing to 
uh, have the courage of his opinions, the courage of his convictions. A, a lot of folks have opinions, and so, some are stronger than others, but a lot of people don't wear their emotions on their sleeve and their beliefs on their sleeve like you do. I wanted to point out that if you drove past Eric's house, you'd see a yard full of signs talking about how um, black lives matter, brown lives matter. Um, can you talk about some of the risks you've taken by putting that stuff out there? Um, what are some more of those messages you want to communicate to people? And, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, what, what's the motivation behind those? And then what are some of the reactions people have had towards those? Can you talk about those? Sure, sure. I do want to. I do have another part of the question that I asked David that I would like to find time yeah, let's, to ask. Let's find, let's finish that now, and we'll come back to my question. All right. Well, I don't want to distract you. But okay. I'm not. So, uh, part of the foundation where I would start when I think about where would I start if somebody asked me, Eric, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? One of the first was what I already posed to Mr. Snyder or, or anybody is. Would you bestow upon your child a situation, cast upon them, or leave that as their legacy after you die, leave a situation where they were in a situation of uh, 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 chaos, suffering, chaos, death, pain, and suffering? Mm -hmm. And then the second question I would ask is, Mr. Snyder, David Snyder, uh, myself, or anybody else, would you cast a child into that same situation of death, pain, and suffering, any child in the world, would you, would you allow you, anybody out there, a situation to be created where any child in the world was cast into such a situation or that was the, the, the situation where they were going to leave while you're there or after you die? And for me, the answer is no. And there is no child of any color, any race, anywhere on this planet Earth where I could sit comfortable with myself knowing that any child is in one of those situations. Obviously, there are, so I cannot sit comfortable. Mm -hmm. I, there's to the day I died, and you know, everybody has their own ideas about life and death and the world, but. When I meet my Lord, my Master, if I, with what I know now, and we'll get into that, you know, things that I know that help influence me and compel me to do the things I do, if I sat still and comfortable for one moment, sure, I have things I like to do, I got hobbies and stuff, I enjoy life, but if, if I didn't keep that as a part of my life, these things, these priorities, these concerns then how could I face my Lord and Master? I could not. And let's talk about that. Who is your Lord and Master? Jesus Christ. Okay. In the traditional sense, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and there's the, uh, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, mainstream Christianity, at least from that perspective. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Okay, well, let's get into this. This thing right here, the Bible. Most white evangelical Christians have never read the entire Bible, page for page, word for word, from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. it is, I've heard it said that it takes the average person about two years to read the whole Bible. A couple, couple hours a day or 
for two years or? You know, probably a half an hour a day. Okay. Um, but I, I just heard it say by uh, a religious person, uh, I think they were Christian, they were, they said it was uh, takes the average person. I've got almost six years invested in reading this book, mm-hmm. and I've got the notes underneath it. The first time I read it, I didn't take notes. I, I did, I've got the Bible somewhere. It fell apart. I underlined things. The second time I read it, I took notes. Mm-hmm. And I'm in my third reading, and I'm taking a whole nother set of notes. So I don't want to get too distracted on that. You're asking me where, who, what, who my inspiration was, Jesus. Yeah, I, you, I said Jesus. You and referenced you asked your master, me, and I asked you who your master was, just to be clear about right, your, who my Lord and master was. Those yeah. were the words I was using. And then you start asking me about, you know, what is the uh, under, my understanding of that? Is it the Trinity, Jesus Christ, God? It's all that, you know, some, even in evangelical and stuff, there's some debates and stuff. I'm not interested in getting into that. The Muslims, uh, is, is a, Jesus is a prophet of the Muslims. He's a very important prophet of the Muslims. Same with Judaism, right? Didn't they see Jesus as like a, uh, significant figure, not the Messiah? I cannot obviously. answer that. I think so. I think they saw him as obviously kind of the fork in the road for Christianity and Judaism as <coughs> as I understand it is that uh, Christianity started out as Judaism. Jesus Christ came along and they said, oh, this guy's the Messiah. The people who believed he was the Messiah the Jews had been waiting for became Christians. The people who didn't stayed Jews. So you've got a lot of crossover there. So um, I have become quite acquainted with Judaism and Christianity. I was raised Christian and my wife and therefore my son and her family and a lot of my friends and clients are Jewish. So that's kind of the answer there. But I think it's important to point out that uh, I would assume that even though you quite, uh, describe yourself as a believing Christian, Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior and all that, you would also believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that every human being is a creation of God. And in, in, in as far as they are, they have basic fundamental rights to be cared for and treated kindly and respected and so forth. You would agree with that statement, right? Regardless of their Wholeheartedly. religious. Okay. I think that's important to get out there because um, people can lose sight of, um, you know, my religion's better than yours or your religion does this and mine doesn't do that. At the end of the day, the people that I truly am inspired by and want to support are the people who say, look, I might believe in this one path to get to heaven, God's spiritual awareness, rebirth, whatever it might be, but I believe that every single being that's capable of feeling pain is you know, I should respect that person and treat them with kindness and love them and that God created them. Um, so obviously you agree with that. Wholeheartedly. Absolutely. I think that's a very important point. Can we come back to the question I asked you about really kind of putting your money where your mouth is? Some of the signs you put on your, your work vehicle and your and your car, or excuse me, your um, all your vehicles, and then in your yard at your house and also on your Facebook posts. Can you talk about a couple of those? I'd like to I'd like to dive into those. Yeah, there's uh, so many, I guess uh, I tried to make some notes because I could go in so many directions. Um, we could start with the, uh, was it Black and Brown Lives Matter to me? I think. Well, I, here, I don't mean to interrupt oh, you. You're not, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an important one, especially in light of what's been going on in the past six years or more around that time. Probably one of the most significant ones, if somebody asked me of, of one one of the 
I wouldn't say one is more significant than others, but one that is, an, again, another good foundation place to start to try to understand what I'm saying or, or what I feel is the one that says, uh, I have it on the front of my house. It's a four by eight sign screwed to the front of my house. Um, it has large question marks. A nation of Christian values. Where did Jesus ever say murder a Native Americans and steal their homelands, enslave Africans and steal from their labor, uh, deny people equal rights and justice, deny people equal rights and justice in their homelands all around the world? We can get into that. That's certainly a point. Mm -hmm. Um, Imperialism and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I wish I had the picture pulled up. Um, uh, where did Jesus say uh, subjugate and manipulate people? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I ask people, especially uh, conservative white evangelical Christians, where where did Jesus say that? Mm-hmm. Uh, show me, please. Where is there any indication uh, that Jesus... Show me your notes. Tell me how many times you've read the book. Yeah. Let me know where you see that because I don't see it. Yeah. You know, one point that's uh, relevant there. <coughs> when you mentioned black and brown lives mattering to you, I think it's important to point out that even though technically they were uh, free people with the Emancipation Pro- Proclamation and uh, Abraham Lincoln and all of his, his efforts, they were not free. They were, were still terrorized. They were still uh, exploited. The legal system did not give them equal representation under the law. They were still, and to this day, there's still some of that left over. I think statistically, a young black male is far more likely to die of um, violent crime or have an, um, be pulled over by a police officer for a minor, you know, like a taillight being out or something, and then that escalating into something where... Either there's violence between the two of them or police brutality or the uh, person gets charged with a more severe crime than just driving with an expired license or something like that. Then they go into the uh, judicial system and they're more likely to be charged with a tougher crime, be convicted and get a tougher sentence. Is that an example of kind of things you're seeing being done to um, minorities and other people who are vulnerable in our society that, that you're concerned about? Most definitely. And where I would start with that and where uh, I think people try to use the situation to lose that focus is um, in what you're saying. Oh, well, they have rights now. They, they have all the rights they want, you know, that everybody else has now. Let's don't talk about that. That's over. Yeah. But, <laughs> it's easy to say as a white person, right? Yeah. yeah the, just, just, just get over it, right? Yeah. The yeah. disparities do ex- still exist. And let's make a note. Let's stay on that, all that you said, mm-hmm. because I have specific thing inheritance. We're going to talk about inheritance. Mm-hmm. But it starts at when white Europeans came to America and started murdering Native Americans and stealing their homelands, and then when they started sailing around the world and realized they could uh, buy these people and bring them over here and steal from their labor. And not, not just 
not just that, treat them inhumanely, abuse them, you know, murder them, mutilate them, rape them. I mean, it was brutal. Definitely. And that mindset, if somebody tries to tell me that somewhere, somehow, that mindset magically disappeared, <laughs> it's obvious it did not. Yeah. Or you wouldn't have had the civil rights struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't have had people, you know, agencies, government agencies, elected officials, law enforcement agencies doing everything they could to suppress the civil rights movement. It did not just go away. And after the civil rights movement, that mentality, that attitude did not go away. Mm-hmm. It is still here today. And it, it has become evident as of recent, very much so, it surfaced that it's still, we all knew it was still there. But with the way it surfaced in the past four or five years and was emboldened, it, it, became painfully obvious, painful to me, that it's still very much here. It is not gone. That The same attitude where people had the attitude that they had the right and the uh, were entitled to kill Native Americans and label them as savages, the same attitude, entitlement that they could... And, label Africans as animals and be a justification to treat them the way they treat them as subspecies, it's obvious that that mentality, attitude, entitlement has not gone away. It still exists. We have, as a society, gotten better, though, right? We've moved away from that and made some progress with the civil rights movement, with um, society itself politically, culturally evolving. Or you think it's still... still as strong today as it was back then? What are your thoughts on that? Probably, if I would have been here with the Europeans, I probably would have been killing Indians too. I may have been born on a a plantation. I may have been an overseer on a plantation Mm -hmm. beating Africans. I mean, I'm a white European. I possibly could have very much been part of that culture. Mm. Uh, I very much probably possibly could have been part of the culture that tried to destroy the Haitians for gaining their independence and freedom from France. America destroyed Haiti. They, our government did everything it could to destroy the African Haitians for gaining their independence. They wanted to punish them. They wanted they. And they didn't want that to radiate anywhere else in the world, especially mm. at home. Mm-hmm. And that's why white Americans did what that. I could have been a politician who was part of that. Mm. How do you how do you deal with that? How, how do you come to terms with that? It sounds like you're reflect, reflecting on yourself and your role <coughs> in society. And it sounds like you came to the conclusion. You came to the conclusion that it's at least possible had. Had you lived in those times, you could have been a man of the a man of your time, right? A man of the times, just going along with what the majority of the population was doing. How do you how do you come to terms with that? There's no way I can deny that. So, the way I would come to terms with that is to not deny that, mm. to realize that it would have been possible. Mm-hmm. Now, as I was a youth, that was not a conscious thought that I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't have a conscious thought of that till I was much older. 
to to be able to realize that I could have been one of those types of a man of the times, as mm-hmm. you put it. Mm-hmm. We'll put it that way. Um, now, there were people even during those times, uh, and even, you know, a part of history, I'll just throw that in there, not to get us into it. Uh, there were people on the ships, uh, American ships, warships that were forcing Japan to open up their country against their will, a sovereign country, uh, forcing them with uh, destruction and it being attacked. Uh, the Japanese knew they, there was no way they knew they still lived in the Stone Age and there was no way they could contest it. Um, but there was actually some people on the ships that were saying, this is wrong, what we're doing, and they documented what was going on. Mm. And that's part of the reason why that history is known instead of just not being known because everybody was on the same men- mental plane. Mm-hmm. And also when Europeans were settling Christopher Columbus, it started with him um, and and all that followed after that. There were some people, and probably most of the documentations I have, they were priests or monks who were uh, decrying, deriding, uh, speaking out against uh, the treatment that the Europeans were causing against the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Now, they were a very small voice, but there is documentations of of, uh, priests uh, speaking out uh, against what was happening, but being a small voice and the institution they are in, just like Martin Luther, uh, extremely brave man, had whole uh, institution of, of the populace, institution of the church, institution of government established, whatever government was established at the time. Uh, those priests, Martin Luther, were all facing opposition from those and they the church, were a very minority yeah and the church had a lot of stroke back then politically financially culturally if they didn't they didn't like what you were doing they could take you out or, or make your life very uncomfortable very uncomfortable or yeah. even the church they could have you put to death or influence elected or government officials or whoever was in power yeah that they could call you a heretic or yeah or you know say you're against the word of god yeah. you know martin luther they could have skinned him alive and eviscerated him alive for what he did. And, you know, he had no protection. Uh, So what was your question? What do you think changed or what, what do you, have we made progress? Have we made progress? I think enough people's conscious have changed Mm -hmm. that, they're not the minority anymore. It's not the my the the conscious of America has changed enough. Enough people have felt seen somehow turned their hearts away from being people of their times to to this conscience was developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it somehow developed, and I do think that America has changed. I do think that the conscious of a portion of America has changed. Mm-hmm. Did, did I answer? Yeah. Your so question? the hearts and minds of people have evolved and changed over time. Do we still have significant institutional racism and bias and bigotry? Most definitely. Yeah. It's brought in by the people into the institutions and they feed off of each other. The institution creates more bigotry and the bigotry creates more institution, right? It's kind of a, a cycle. 
Well, the, it's allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, people with those mindsets and attitudes and feel like they can do this or say that. Uh, uh, I don't want to take us, you know, in a route that you want to go. I want to follow, you know, you're, you're, you're the master of this program. <laughs> um, I'm just the host. But look at uh, the way uh, a part of our society tried to suppress a man who peacefully kneeled in protest. You're talking about Martin Luther King Jr. or oh no, Colin, Colin Kaepernick. Colin right? Kaepernick. Yeah, we had government official calling for him to be fired. Yeah. Now, if we were in times past, and if they could get away with more, oh, it would have happened. They would have lynched him, or especially or, with him being brown, you know. And what? Uh, so yeah, it is still there. Mm-hmm. For a government official yeah. calling for that's tyranny. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is absolute tyranny. It's arguably fascism too. The young man was just expressing his views. It is. You can hate fascism. his views. You can not like them. They can be distasteful and offensive to you. But that's the country we live in. But to use a government position mm-hmm. to try to suppress and thwart his his uh, attempt to speak and express himself a peaceful expression. Yeah. Very much so. Peaceful. It wasn't even a sign of a raised fist or anything. Nothing violent about it. Nothing uh, inflammatory, right? Yeah. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And there are people, like I say, there's. I don't want to get distracted. Before I get into that, I think... This is a conversation. Talk about what you want to talk about, Eric. Yeah, there's... Okay, I'll just throw a little, you know thing out there a little holder a mm-hmm. uh, little little coffee cup of that um there are people in america today who want to recreate the mccarthy era mm-hmm. that existed during the vietnam era mm-hmm. they want that political power the same thing was happening when people were speaking out against the vietnam war when people were saying why are we in vietnam and I'll go down rabbit holes here. A lot of the uh, portion uh, populace of, of America don't know that Ho Chi Minh wrote uh, American officials numerous times asking for help to be freed of the recolonization of the French of Vietnam. After World War II, uh, the French recolonized Vietnam. And Ho Chi Minh was saying, and there, there was the 14 points, uh, Woodrow Wilson's 14 points of freedom. There was the Atlantic Charter. Um, and people were speaking about, the world is free of tyranny. Uh, everybody's free now. Everybody will be free to uh, govern and, and, and... Democracy uh, will spread across the land. Yeah, they'll be the free to... Yeah. Uh, uh, to govern themselves and represent themselves in their own lands. Yeah. Tyranny is over. And then <coughs> and then right after that, the French go back in, and the Vietnamese allied with the West to help fight the Japanese. And, uh, uh, and then after World War II, France goes in and recolonized Vietnam, and Ho Chi Minh was saying, hey, what's all this talk about freedom around the world and yeah. everybody being free in their own homelands to govern themselves and, yeah. 
having autonomy for themselves. And we get recolonized by France? Everybody else that you're pumping millions and billions of dollars into the Philippines, and we get recolonized and Mm resubjugated? What is this? What about all this talk about the Atlantic Charter and and Woodrow Wilson's 14 Points of Freedom? And give us some context. Was this the 1950s, 1960s? Well, Ho Chi Minh spent time in America. I think he received some education in America. So what, the Vietnam was in the 60s. So yeah, it must have been in the 50s. I'd have to go back and make for sure. But this was in the 50s. Eisenhower was in office. We'd have to Google it, research it. Yeah, just roughly speaking. But Ho Chi Minh, Eisenhower was one of the people that uh, Ho Chi Minh uh, wrote a letter to pleading for assistance to be uh, relieved of this subjugation by the French. But... Uh, little yellow brown men playing for uh, equality. Uh, America, you know, uh, their allies, France, just yeah. pushed Ho Chi Minh aside and held the hand of the French mm-hmm. as the French entered into it. And then, um, so I don't want to go on that too much anymore. We can talk about that some more, but that yeah. paints a little bit of a picture. Yeah. Um, so w- what I got into that is, is, there are people in this nation today in America who want to recreate the McCarthy era because when people were speaking out during the McCarthy era, there were people who held political positions who did everything they could to crush and destroy uh, people's lives who were speaking out about the uh, uh, Vietnam War. Anybody who questioned it... Uh, They wanted to destroy those people. Mm -hmm. They wanted to suppress them. Mm -hmm. And the same that's the same exact thing what was happening during the Black Lives Matter movement. They were doing everything they could is to paint them in a negative light Mm -hmm. and suppress and gain control over them so they would have the power to suppress them and force them to be quiet. Yeah. I'm glad you went there because uh, I have a few thoughts on that. The first one is, I don't want to go too far into that, but it seems like there were, were some real, really troubling issues in the Black Lives Matter thing. Um, ask yourself a question. Uh, was it Breonna Taylor, the girl here in Louisville? Was that her name? Yes. Yeah. Ask yourself this question. If that was a white couple living in an apartment in the east end of Louisville, do you think that would have gone down like that? I don't. For two I- for two reasons. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have gone down like that in real time, and the cover-up wouldn't have ha- happened. How long did it take for that to even become a news story? Weeks? Months? Maybe it was a month or two, right? Something like that? It, I think when I talked to um, black folks about this and I asked them, I'm like, hey, correct me if I'm wrong, but here's my sentiment. Here, here's what I'm trying to put myself in a black person's shoes, and here, here's what I gained from that. It's just one more reminder that a black life has a little less value than a white life, Right. And, exactly. And every black person I mentioned that to, you said you're spot on. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it wouldn't have gone down that way, A. And B, it would not have been covered up for weeks or months the way it was if it was a white couple. And I, th- I think that needs to be said, right? That's still the world we live in in spite of all the progress that we've made uh, politically, culturally, socially. There's a couple other questions uh, I wanted to ask you. A couple, oh, I don't want to interrupt of course, you. Don't Can comment. you hold those? Of course, comment, yes. Okay, on that point, Right around that time, we'd have to go back and research the exact dates and stuff. There was a white female corrections employee officer who was smuggling drugs 
into the prisons. Mm -hmm. When she got caught, she did not get shot. And I always ask, why couldn't they have just arrested Breonna Taylor during the day? Yeah. No matter what she was doing. Right. You know, uh, doing drugs. Okay. Maybe that's illegal. Mm -hmm. But uh, police officers, big trained bad police officers, why couldn't they just pull her over on the side of the road? They know where she was. They know where she is. They know where she works. Why couldn't they just pull her over and arrested her? That's a great point. The no-knock warrant in the middle of the night seems unnecessary and excessive, right? Yeah, I mean, how how are these big trained karate guys sitting home watching karate videos all day long, trained and equipped with guns, you know, one, two, three of them not capable of capturing, <laughs> taking into custody Breonna Taylor? I agree. And But at that same time, that correct white corrections <clears throat> female officer was taken into custody. Peacefully. He wasn't shot peacefully. No, no issues. No, no issues. brutality. No nothing, violence. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. She was a drug smuggler into the prisons. I and think, I think there was like a money thing, laundering, or she was like getting the money or taking money out or something. And yeah. how come she didn't get shot in the middle of the night? Yeah, I think it's important to admit, particularly being white males that we are of European ancestry, it's really good to be a white male, right? You get the benefit of the doubt where, say, some minority um, wouldn't or a woman wouldn't or someone who's uh, LGBTQ or something like that. It's still beneficial to be in that category. And I think I think you need to reflect on that as a white male. I, I certainly do all the time. I benefit from white privilege and the opposite or the um, uh, institutional discrimination and bias and bigotry against others actually indirectly indirectly benefits me every day. And I, I think there's some, uh, <clears throat> some wisdom to be gained from reflecting on that and trying to remind yourself that, Hey, I'm no better or hardworking or decent than uh, someone else who's in it or has a podcast who happens to be Brown, yellow, LGBTQ, whatever it might be. They arbitrarily were born into this world with that category and kind of got, 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 a, got a bad, you know, Bad, uh, bad card dealt to them, so to speak. So I think that's important. I want to ask you three tough questions here, Eric. The first one is, you said that every child is a creation of God and you genuinely care about the dignity and the humanity and the well-being of all of them. How do you square your religious or spiritual views, being a Christian, with um, their opinion on LGBTQ lifestyles? or uh, It's not even a lifestyle. That's who they are, right? Do you? I would agree with that. That's okay, good. Are. So our our lesbian, gay, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, transgender, uh, questioning, all the people that fit in those categories have equal amounts of love and respect from you, regardless of what the Christian church might say about their orientation. Yeah, if, help, forgive me. If you're asking me, do I feel that those people have equal value? Uh, you know, like you prefaced, I think all yeah. people are a creation of God and have equal value. Very much so. Good. They have equal value I'm glad uh, to hear that. and deserve uh, equal recognition, uh, equal protection, access to the economy, access to legal protection, access to, uh, you know, income and, uh, housing and food, all the basic things, right? They're no different from where you sit? No, I don't think they should be treated any different. Mm -hmm. No different whatsoever. Great. I'm glad to hear that. 
that's hard question number one. Hard question number two, and this might take a little bit of time. Um, I was doing a little research for our show today, and I took a a look at quite a few of your Facebook posts. And if we're being honest with each other, you're not a fan of Donald Trump. No. I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. Um, I do think he's done some decent things and deserves some credit for some of the decent things he's done. But one thing I wanted to talk about, if you're willing, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the general sense I got from your posts about Trump and Republicans is that people who supported him or voted for him in any way uh, are bigots. Did I I mischaracterize that? Bigots? I mean, that's part of it. Yeah, I'm not here to point the finger at you. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, I I would, I would, if somebody asked me to describe, and I feel like we left out something, uh, conservative, Trump, Republicans, white evangelicals, Mm -hmm. Christians, uh, would be part of the label. For this topic, you're grouping all those people together. Yes. Okay. My post, you're asking me about my post and who they're directed at or who am I ruminating about, expressing about, that would be the description of the group. And please, no. yeah, please correct me if I'm wrong, but what I took away from that is, is that they're all kind of racist or, or bigoted or biased. Is that over an oversimplification or is it, you know, tell us what you think about that and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't want to be wrong. No, no, that's yeah. fine. Uh, I don't think that fully encompasses the way I feel about them. Well, articulate it for us in your own words, please. Okay. Yeah. If somebody asks me with what I you know, how I would describe them with what I see and how I feel what their motivations are, uh, their actions are, Mm -hmm. and the thoughts that they display and the rationalizations uh, that they display uh, is that they are perverse and morally corrupt. In their essence, okay. Yeah, there's no uh, no sugarcoat in that one. <coughs> and there's I don't want to distract you, but there's one way where if somebody was like, "Well, what are you talking about?" I think I have multiple ways, but sitting here right now, I have one way where I could start to portray a reason why I would come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. There are people in America who try to paint an unblemished portrait of America. They very much want to wave a flag and uh, that's weaved with this fabric that's unblemished. And they want to wrap themselves in that flag and parade around and tout themselves as virtuous. Mm. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. America was built on, and they, they, they want to be glorified as virtuous. They want to be praised. And they would like to have the power to force everybody mm. to bow down to, salute, praise, and glorify yeah. the image that they are trying to portray of America and themselves. Are you familiar with the term called virtue signaling? Have you heard that yet? No, that's you'll hear that one if you dive into that stuff. It's, it's exactly what you're talking about. I'm, I'm righteous. 
I'm on the right side of things. My opinion's right. Yours is wrong. And they do it in kind of this subtle way by taking a political or cultural stand. And the term is virtue signaling. So I just wanted to throw that out there if you hadn't heard of it. No, I haven't. Thank yeah. you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it could go into religion. They, they, sure. They'd say uh, uh, Muslims don't aren't a real religion. Uh, they're 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 a false religion. That's a lie. I've read this book. God, there's only one human being on earth that God lived with when when that human being was growing up. His name is Ishmael, the father of Islam. It says it in that book right there. Mm. God made a commitment to Ishmael and his mother Hagar, and in no place in that book does it say that God ever retracted that commitment to them? Mm-hmm. God said, I will make you and your son a great nation. Your people will be more too numerous to count. They will be more numerous than the sands on, on the, in the oceans. So the, the perverseness to say that, oh, Christianity is the only way, it's, it's perverse and morally corrupt. I think there's some truth there. I think uh, with a lot of your your views, there's some truth so, in what you're saying. So I would like to finish on that. <coughs> yeah, the, please, the, please the, do. The, I'm not a, a, a what I call them bigoted. Yeah, I think that's part of it, but I don't think it encompasses everything. That's why I went into that. Yeah. That's why I would label them as perverse and morally corrupt. Yeah. And it leads into America was built on murder, theft, slavery, subjugation, manipulation, and denial of equal rights and equal liberties to peoples around the world. The people who had power, white Europeans, and as they built power, yeah. that's what America was built on. Has any country ever been founded in, you know, in not, not, not that fashion? Because it seems like that's kind of the history of humanity, right? And they always... And that's not a passive course, but no, it's no. context. No, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a perfect thing. And white, Trump Republican, Republican evangelicals always say that. And then I'm like, well, what's so special about America then? <laughs> We're just murdering thugs like everybody else, if yeah. you put it that way. Yeah, the old American exceptionalism idea, the shining city on the hill, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're just murdering thugs like everybody else. Yeah, it's uh, George Carlin said... The longer you live in this country, the more you realize that America's number one product is the creation, manufacture, marketing, and distribution of bullshit. And if you <laughs> if you want the proof, here it is. The country was founded by a group of white male slave owners who told us that all men are created equal. That's what's known as being stunningly full of shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that is apropos. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's there's some there's some significance there. I wanted to kind of disagree with you. Um on your position here, friendly, of course. I respect your opinion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't doubt your, your your underlying motives and your intentions. I'm sure they're good. Seventy plus million people voted for Donald Trump, and I, I have to add a disclaimer here. I'm not a Trump fan. I didn't vote for him either time. I'm far from a conservative Republican. I have some liberal views. I have some conservative views. I'd call myself if, if you had to paint me into a corner and make me choose one. I guess I'm a moderate Democrat. Um, but that being said, I know the, a lot of those people who voted for him. In my line of work, I run into those people all the time. And I'm here to tell you, those are decent folks. I I really want to disagree with you on that. 
my experience, at least with the people I've interacted with who either enthusiastically supported for him and voted for him or held their nose and voted for his policies and kind of t- turned their, uh, a blind eye on his personal indiscretions, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of want to push back on that idea. I know a lot of people who voted for him and are Republicans and I think they're decent people, and I just want to dis- disagree with you on that and get that out there. That hasn't been my ex- experience. I'm sure some of them are are the way you describe. So I just wanted to take that moment to disagree with you and get your thoughts on that. I'm sure they are decent people to themselves mm-hmm. and the people they care about. I don't question that a bit. Mm-hmm. But it says in that book right there, even sinners even sinners do the same thing. Sinners love themselves. Sinners love their children. Mm-hmm. Sinners love the people who are around them, who, you know, are, are create security for themselves with each other. Mm-hmm. It's it's. I mean, even Africans in Africa who sold Africans in their tribe, they had a sense of security amongst themselves. They were decent people amongst themselves. In their little orbit. Even the Mongols who were murdering thieves who built one of the greatest landmass empires in the history of mankind who just butchered humanity in their own circle, in their own country. They were decent people. They had security. They made sure that each other was secure. They were decent to their children. They took care of themselves. I'm going to push back a little more. I really want to challenge you. To reconsider your opinion, your your position there. I respect. Okay. I respect your right to have that. No, we're we're doing exactly yeah. what we said we were going to do. Yeah, I'm going to push back, man. I, I know these people, and they're not just decent in their own little orbit. They're good people from my perspective, from my viewpoint. Now, I could not be seeing the whole picture. Who knows what they're doing when I'm not around? But I do. I do believe there's a lot of good people, and I just wanted to get that out there. Um. I have another question. That's fine. I don't disagree with that. Okay. I have another hard question for you. Where do you come down on the abortion issue? I think abortion is not a good thing. Uh, I think women should have autonomy over their bodies, but I say it in numerous of my posts, and I even have it on, you know, my vans, uh, one way I stab back at the pro-life people is it's a, it's a coward who legislates against, and I say that on my vehicles and in my posts, it's a coward who legislates against and criminalizes women for abortion, unwanted pregnancies. Men are the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, who, I don't want to be careful to go off on a tangent, uh, to, That's to, why we're here. Go for it. Yeah. No censorship here. Well, I want to stick with your question. Do, how do I feel about abortion? What do I think about abortion? Yeah. What was your question? Yeah. What's your position? My position. My position is abortion is not a good thing. But people who really care about situations seek solutions. And nobody's seeking solutions. That's exactly. 
exactly my position. Democrats hide behind women and, and have been hiding behind women and using them as human shields for the past 30 years in response to the abortion. It's, it's not an abortion issue. It's an unwanted pregnancy issue. Mm-hmm. And if you change the, 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 the wording of things, it creates a whole different dynamic of things. Sure. Words are powerful. A lot of times. So, it's an unwanted, in my opinion, and I think it's evident, it's an unwanted pregnancy issue. So how do you, if you really care, solve the unwanted pregnancy issue? Mm-hmm. Republicans, white evangelical Christians, they don't care about solving the issue of abortion, of unwanted pregnancies, because they haven't done anything to solve the issue. Mm-hmm. There is no, I won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, it is an important side note, an important thing, mm-hmm. but nobody's seeking solutions. White evangelical Christians saw that it was a way to gain power. And it's in my opinion that white evangelical Christians want the power, European, white European power that they had in the past. And they saw it as an avenue mm. to gain power, to wield, uh, their self-righteousness mm-hmm. over the masses, over have complete control and to be able to uh, impose their self-righteousness upon people. I think there's some truth there. And Democrats left the dummies that they are. I'm a Democrat. I vote Democrat. I always have. I can't see it changing with the values that they have right now. Mm-hmm. But Democrats are numbskull dummies. They just left the door wide open for they kept doing the same thing over and over again. No Democratic men ever offered any solutions to the situation. They just hid behind women for the past 30 years. And they did it to themselves. They shot it themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. Democratic men have provided no leadership on the issue of unwanted pregnancies. None whatsoever. Mm. And here's when I say when my signs that I have... Uh, Uh, it's a coward who legislates against and criminalizes women. Uh, it's men are the problem. Uh, when I, 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 they're like, what are you talking about? I, I'd be like, if you really cared, Democratic men or, or Republican men, uh, white evangelicals, about solving the issue of abortion, the real issue is unwanted pregnancies. You would be legislating against and criminalizing men for creating unwanted pregnancies. Mm. If you really want to do something about it, yeah. cre- <clears throat> turn your efforts towards men. And I'm going to be a little, I don't want to be offensive on your show here. No, say it, Eric. But free speech. White evangelical conservative Republican men, when I pose that, they turn and run and hide like the bunch of rats that they are. Mm -hmm. And they start pointing towards women. Oh, it's a woman's responsibility. Or, um, and I'm like, well, who, who works so hard to say that they're the leader of the church. They're the only ones that have the right of the vote. They're the heads of the household. They're the ones that have control of the money. They're the ones that, are already said it leaders of the church they're the ones who are the only ones allowed to hold government positions mm-hmm. men 
Yeah. Well, if men are so appoint themselves as such leaders of society and the only ones who are able to hold those positions, the only reason they don't anymore is because people struggled against that lie. Mm -hmm. Then why aren't you holding yourselves who portray yourselves as the supreme being? Why aren't you holding yourselves accountable and responsible in the situation? Why are you penalizing? Why are you criminalizing? Why are you attacking women? Why aren't you holding men accountable, supremely accountable? Yeah, that's well said. I can tell you're passionate when you say that too. It's hypocrisy. Um, It is. It is. And it's, um, I think it kind of dovetails into one of my theories uh, that I've shared with people privately, but I'll I'll go ahead and get it out there. It's called my 60% theory. Have I told you this one? No. Three out of five men on the planet are worthless. (laughs) Starting wars, raping, stealing, lying, conning, exploiting, abusing, neglecting, populating prisons, harming people, raping, murdering, stealing. I said, if I told you right now somewhere on the planet, some vulnerable person, whether it's a a woman who is in a weak position or a a child or some disabled person or whatever was being exploited or abused, what's the first mental image you get of the person doing that? A man. You just proved my point. Now, the flip side of that is, if I told you somewhere on the planet, clean, clean water was being run to a village or a school was being built or the elderly or the sick or the young were being cared for and nurtured, What's the first image you get of the person doing that? A woman. There you go. We're in the same boat. <laughs> so I wanted to get that out there. Um, so I don't want to distract you. No. Please. But the abortion thing, I do not think abortion is good. I think the situation should be solved. Yeah. And here's my solution. My idea, like I said, people who care come up with solutions, ideas, alternatives, new concepts, put valves in the vast deference, get it at its source, and then let him get an app on his phone to turn them on and off. There would be no unwanted pregnancies. It would be solved. It wouldn't even even happen. Mm -hmm. He could just turn the app on when he and the missus or whatever wanted to create a baby. And people like to have sex. Mm-hmm. It's, it's undeniable. Why even try to act like you can regulate or somehow deny or channel, you know, uh, 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 an idea of how to conduct sex? Let people have sex. They want to yeah. have sex. Yeah. You probably want to have sex. I probably want to have sex. It's possible. Mm-hmm. It's likely. Yeah, it's more than possible. <laughs> it's inevitable. <laughs> so just let people have sex, yeah. especially <clears throat> with the, the technology and stuff we have. My gosh, we're smarter than this. Yeah. Maybe my idea isn't the best idea or right idea, but it's an idea. At least it's productive. Yeah. <laughs> it's, got, it's, a, it's an idea. Constructive in It nature. would work. Yeah, I've always told people if they really cared about solving it, you know, if you needed a replacement organ right now, some doctor in a lab could swab the DNA in your mouth and grow grow you a replacement organ or a Petri dish. They're doing it every day now, right? You're telling me there's not some medical procedure or some technology you can use to extract a baby from somebody who doesn't want it and artificially bring it to birth or implant it in the womb of someone trying to have a child? No one talks about that stuff. So it was so fascinating when you said it's a political issue. They don't have any interest in solving it or compromising on it. That's exactly the way I feel. So uh, thanks for your thoughts on that. I want to thank ask you. you. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to ask you one more hard question. 
Um, we mentioned we've touched on several times on the unfair, disproportionate grip on or influence of society and politics and government that religion has had historically. What's your opinion on that? Do you think governments in a free society, in a democracy, should be secular? Or or do you want to see religion more involved in the political process and government? Absolute separation of church and state, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Lord Jesus is my master. I started off with Lord and Master. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what he is. He's my Lord and Master. The name of my Lord and Master, and you you know, wanted to clarify that, mm-hmm. and it is important, is Jesus Christ as a Christian, mm-hmm. not as Jesus Christ as a prophet within uh, Muslim, uh, the context. Muslim faith. Um, absolute separation of church and state. In no way, the, the, the Jesus, I feel, is a very important thing, person, the Bible, I think it's incredibly important, but in no way do I feel like in government that it has a place. In no way. Good. I agree with you on that. Um, I wanted to segue to a segment we have here called Three Questions. And Three Questions is brought to you by our nonprofit called See Good to Be Good, which aims to act as a source of hope, motivation, and inspiration to help folks achieve their dreams. We're accepting donations to help fund our needs-based scholarship to help a young person pay for their education in some form of the arts, whether that be music or dance or uh, paint, uh, you know, the visual arts, painting or graphic design or uh, anything like that. So if you'd like to help us in our mission to do that, please let us know. Question number one, why are you successful? My, I'm successful. If I'm if I'm successful in anything I do, it's because I want to be honest. I want to treat people well. I want other people to do well. Uh, I think people recognize that. Uh, I like to work. I like the the uh, the relationship with work. The feeling I get from it. I've always loved to work. Uh, even as a kid, I was happy to go out and cut grass for money and i was like can i have the lawnmower my parents were like well sure you can have the lawnmower what, what are you doing <laughs> i want to go cut, cut neighbor's grass i want to earn some money yeah but what makes me successful yeah. is that what you said or why are you successful why what, am what's your i definition su- of success How'd if i if i'm successful in anything and i've made a lot of mistakes in my life especially in relationships and i repent dear god i repent mm-hmm. to the lord and to those people i repent i i regret and i repent i wish i not have made those mistakes i wish i had not treated people that way at times it's horrible uh just just i mean i'm not saying i murdered anybody but just to you've done some things you regret i've done things you're ashamed i regret of, but so you learn from them uh, yeah so if i'm successful in any way i feel like the, the the things, the traits or whatever that would help me be successful uh, are I want to be honest. I want to treat, I care about people. I would say that's probably one of the most central. I care about people. So what radiates from that is honesty. And I want, when I interact with people, I want them to have benefit and a positive result also. I don't just want to make money off of somebody and get a little scam where I can run away with some money. I want them to do well also. Relational, not transactional. Yeah, very much so. 
Second question, why are you happy? I have been blessed with, since I was a child, for some reason, I mean, I had experiences, but I just have very basic joy in the world. Sunshine, I, you know, I grew up riding my, I didn't even have a car, I did, but I rode my bike till I was 30 years old. People would ask me, they oh, were, wow. were going to be like, what, when are you going to, because I lived in proximity <laughs> in my work, I worked yeah. at a place for almost 20 years, and uh, I people would be like it would bother some people they were like when are you going to grow up and get a car and be a real man yeah. <laughs> it bothered some men that yeah. I, I lived up they'd never seen me drive ever seen me drive up well, they're, they're just insecure and they're projecting that on you anyways but what joy happiness did yeah. you say Why are you happy i've always had a basic uh some it's apparently in me that just simple little things bring me joy sunshine green grass rain the Playing in the rain as a kid. You got a roof over your head and food in your belly. Just the basic things well, in life. Well, that, that, but the joy, the happiness, probably more come. Yeah, I mean, I'm thankful for those yeah. things. Yeah. But the joys, even as a little kid, I, I had a lot of outdoor adventures that were provided for me. And I just enjoyed them. And apparently they radiated in my soul. Mm. And I'm just naturally easily happy my joy and happiness do not cost me money mm -hmm. they are provided by god and god's creation of nature mm. experience so it just comes real easy for me just yeah. to enjoy that is, myself that is a blessing to be born with that natural disposition disposition to be oriented towards just being happy anyway and finding happiness in little things yeah every day yeah, yeah. just that that little joy is just in me i love that Third question, what obligation do you feel to help other people? My life depends on it. Yeah. <laughs> my, my soul depends on it. Yeah. And my conscious depends on it. You're getting emotional. I can see it. <laughs> yeah, you deeply care about other people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing that with us. Thank you. Um, I like to uh, have a positive quote on every episode. So here we go. And I think you'll think this will resonate with you. You can have everything in life you want if you will just help other people get what they want. And that's the great Zig Ziglar. Hmm. Thanks for being here today, Eric. Yeah, thank you very much. So I respect you greatly. Uh, when I saw your podcast, uh, I stumbled on it. I don't know. I don't send it to me for some reason. But we're no. friends on Facebook. And yeah. I was like, wow. And I was not surprised about it coming from uh mr david snyder that he would create something i was like that was a really poised well done piece of work that david snyder has created well that's so nice of you to say and i want people to know that is is a uh, controversial or um you know uh, extreme or radical some of your posts might be on facebook or some of the signs in your yard at your core you're a kind soft-spoken uh caring person who's eccentric and i love eccentric people you're not going to meet another eric senate out there if you go looking i mean you're one of a kind and i love that i don't have to agree with everything everything you believe to be your friend and respect you uh, i wanted to get that out there um, i wanted to wrap up by saying that this is a tease eric and i are going to be collaborating on his own podcast thank you and uh, Eric has some unique views and a unique voice, and he's compelled, and he's passionate about what he, what he thinks and what he believes. 
and he wants to share that with other people. So this was just a getting acquainted with Eric Sennett, the man and his ideas and his take on life and his philosophy. Uh, we're building a studio now, and we're going to start recording some episodes, and I, I, I'll be working with Eric on that. So there will be more information about that as it takes shape. And uh, if you guys like what you hear and you're curious to hear more of Eric's thoughts, um, just stay tuned. We'll get you um, plugged into what that's going to look like and when it goes live, hopefully sooner than later. If you would like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast content, like our friend Eric is doing, please contact us for more information. I'd like to take a moment to thank the talented people that work behind the scenes to make this podcast happen. There's the effervescent producer, David Snyder, running audio and video. Thank you. The intrepid David Snyder, casting and scripting the show. Yay! And finally, the brilliant and gifted David Snyder, editing and distributing the show online. I just wanted to take a moment to thank those fine folks for their contributions. I know them all. They're great people. Yes, sir. Thank you. And uh, thanks to our guest, Eric Sinnott, for being here today. Thank you very much. So honored. It was a great response. The honor is, uh, is it's mutual. It was a great conversation. We ha- had touched on some heavy topics and didn't agree on everything, but we respect each other. And I tried to understand your point of view, and hopefully you tried to understand mine. And we could ta- we could take something away. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Both of us can take something away from that, and hopefully the audience can take something away from that. So thanks for joining us today. I'd like to thank our listeners and our sponsors for making this podcast possible and hopefully successful. And we'll see you real soon on a future episode of the Respect to Math podcast.